Today's episode will not contain any offensive or bad Italian accents. We promise. Today, we're talking Pixar's Luca. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling, animation, and uh, mythical sea beasts. I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm Chris Leva. And as uh, Chris got to, uh, we're talking today about Pixar's newest movie on Disney+, Plus, Luca. A story of being a fish out of water. Uh, oh, nicely done. That was. Has, has anyone said that? I, I don't think, know. I hope people have said that. Because it's true. We're recording this like 12 hours after it came out. So maybe by the time this airs, someone will have already said it and stolen it from me uh, mentally. <laughs> mentally? Brain brain theft? Thought, brain thought theft. crime? No, thought crime is different. Uh, yeah, that's much different. <laughs> that's much different. Um,. Yeah, so Luca, uh, which I think we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, I think what's so fascinating about this movie is its style, its scope, um, what it means when people who aren't the director have thoughts and put textual elements into a movie that maybe the director didn't intend to be there, and they're there now. (laughs) (laughs) For everyone to see, I feel. Yeah, yeah. Pretty obviously, too. I don't think it's a secret. <laughs> Chris, what did you, uh, what are your key takeaways about Luca? What did you love and feel after finishing it? Sure. For for me and my family, we watched it together. Uh, this film, I'll just say the quick little who created it. Um, directed by Enrico Casarosa, his feature-length directorial debut. He just did... Um, La Luna, the Pixar shorts, if you've ever seen that, which this feels very much in that same world, uh, style and feeling-wise. And it was written by Jesse Andrews and Mike Jones. Uh, For us, uh, it was a delightful little evening. Like, that's, that's the thing that was surprising. I think we were discussing this before we started recording, it's a beautiful film. It's light. Um, it doesn't feel heavy. Now I'm talking about like creams. Like I feel like I'm describing like a a, a meal. Yeah, like it's like not. A, it's not. It was half pasta plate, not a full pasta plate. Yeah, it it left you feeling light. It it wasn't it wasn't at all weighed down and heavy. Not to say that it didn't have lots of different flavors or lots of different parts to it or it wasn't filling because it definitely was i felt really satisfied after watching it but i think we were also discussing this that some people have said like pixar movies why aren't they as good as they used to be and what's happening yeah that's my reaction to those headlines not pixar yeah (laughs) and then continue to scroll past them because i'm not interested in that um conversation i I think we on this podcast, if you've been listening to this podcast before, we don't 
hate watch or pass judgment. We try to figure out what's going on in something, why it works and how it works, and how that makes us as creators inspired to do our own things. Well said. Thank you. And I, I think we've also come down this podcast of like things and studios and stories don't stay the same forever. That's just a fact. Mm. Um, that's not to say that Pixar is worse now than they used to be. Uh, I don't think that's true, but they're different than they used to be. Certainly. Um, they've evolved. They've changed. So have we as humans in the world. Um, there's a different phase in what will be the Wikipedia article of the future about Pixar. <laughs> I think that's really true. I think once we end up through, I think in about two more movies from Pixar, I think we'll end up defining what this Pixar age is. You know, now that we're, can I, can I say that we are, um, post Toy Story era of, of Pixar? Is it too soon to say that? I don't think we're ever post Toy Story. <laughs> um, I'm trying to find a list of Pixar movies right now. Because uh, I feel like, I, I haven't realized it, but I felt like we've been in a new era of Pixar for a few movies now. And I'm, it's really like, look at this baby, realize like, oh yeah, this is different than it, it was. There's a different theme that's hard for me to articulate at this point, but they're doing different things. Mm -hmm. Like it feels like um, Soul and Onward and Luca are definitely related and they're more related than those and even Inside Out. I know we talked about Soul Inside Out a lot and how right. they're different answers to the same question, but it, but I As feel a, like, yeah. I, I wonder how much of that has to do with Pete Doctor as chief creative person than the former person. And if that has anything to do with new directions and new ways of doing things. It almost certainly does. Um, and I'm not going to phrase that conversation in a way that implies that former person was the secret sauce and made everything good. <laughs> I think that's mm. problematic in many ways, and we're not going to have that conversation. Uh, but someone can also be a bad and flawed person and have interesting ideas. See mm. um, Charles Dickens, <laughs> my favorite dead person who it's easy to talk about and criticize because everyone knows him, even though he was problematic, but also had good ideas outside of literature and had good literature ideas that were also problematic. <laughs> I'm I'm wondering if some of this also has to do with I mean th th this is the, our second Pixar pandemic film uh, This is I think the first one they fully made remotely too Yeah after they started animating the, the little blurb at the end credits like made in our slippers around the bay area like yeah, hashtag they, same Pixar <laughs> right I've never owned slippers until 2020. Like I never, but now I do. Now I own house shoes, I guess is what my wife calls them. But um, 
there's something about that collaboration together and then moving off on your own. I don't know if any of that had an influence over story. Um, and I won't talk spoilers at this point because we're still in our spoiler-free zone. What kind of vibe we got. Um, and But I know that the story got smaller throughout the process. Hmm. Probably for good reason, um, just to make it easier and, well, not easier, but just to make sure that it was focusing where it needed to focus. I agree. I think whatever changes happened <clears throat> without knowing them, it feels like they were good changes ultimately for the story. Yeah, I'll tell you a big one later on. Okay. We'll be like, what? How does that even work? <laughs> well, it can't be spoiler because I don't know things, but I remember uh, maybe a few weeks ago seeing the new poster like, oh, there are parent fish on this poster now. They weren't there before. <laughs> like, hmm, are the parents now a key part of this film? Hmm, how does that work? <laughs> so, Mackenzie, for, for the folks listening who are not quite understanding, they've maybe seen a trailer, um, what is Luca? So, just a just few sentences. What, what do we get out of Luca? To summarize the setup without getting too deep into the waters of spoilers, um... <laughs> Luca begins by following um, the titular boy, Luca, um, who is a sea monster. And he's kind of a f- fish rancher, uh, fish herder, fish herd. Fish herd, yeah. Fish herd, yeah. He uh, herds some fish for his family who are um, akin to sheep in many ways. Um, so he's taking care of the fish for his family. And then his parents do things, his mom once and always know that he that she loves him, uh, even though he doesn't always agree with their parenting choices. Um, and they live in the waters off the coast of the Italian Riviera, question mark, uh, or somewhere thereabouts in a fictional location. Um, but they do not interact with the surface people, the land monsters, as they call them. Mm. And uh, the land monsters are kind of vaguely aware of the myths of the sea monsters, but don't know anything for certain and don't interact with the sea. And never the two shall meet. Um, and everyone seems happy that way, except for Luca, uh, when he finds a thingamajig and uh, doesn't sing a song, but perhaps internally has a monologue about thingamajigs and wanting to be part of the uh, surface world, perhaps. Right, seeing things, believing that they look neat, and possibly thinking that he could be complete. <laughs> it's true. If it, it, it very much sends a vibe, a very familiar. Hmm. Yeah, vibe. this is. Yeah, it's there's a lot of vibes in this movie. No plot, just vibes. Uh, just kidding. There's lots of plot, and it's good plot. <laughs> um, and the plot really kicks off when Luca. Um, meets a strange sea monster who's never seen before, who is collecting the thingamajigs that he says are his. Uh, And he gets to know this strange sea monster, and that changes Luca's life. Spoilers ensue from here, so I will not talk more. Great. I think that's fine. And when we we end up in the spoiler zone, uh, 
we will let you know when we're about to leave the safe waters of spoiler-free zone and venture out into spoiler territory. And we take the safety floaties off. <laughs> so we, we, will, we will give a warning when we're there. We're not there yet. So I want to talk real quick about expectation. And, and then we can, as we get deeper and deeper into that, how this subverts our expectations and what things happen um, to, what's the opposite of subvert? Why did I, why am I Confirm. losing my language? Confirm our expectations. I'm, I don't know what's happening with my language. Like the past 16 months have just ruined words for me. Uh, it's it's COVID brain. It's uh, not as a side effect of COVID. It's just the world we live in. I also okay. have Swiss cheese brain, so no worries. Okay, we great. should make up new words like supervert or just vert. Just vert. That vert our expectations. <laughs> um, when we when we are about to experience a Pixar film, just before we see. Luxo Jr. jump on the eye of the Pixar um, Pixar title, and we're we're just about in it. What are some of our expectations going into a Pixar film that we're going to receive as an audience? Hmm, that's a great question. I think some of mine are going to be aesthetic, and some of them are going to be hard to pin down. I generally mm. expect a film that will be. Um, How do we describe the, the Pixar aesthetic? A film that will be really pretty and will have driven mm -hmm. animation technology forward, um, but in a way that could perhaps feel like the um, like the American standard accent of animation a few years later. Mm. Like it doesn't feel particular to any one studio when you're rewatching it years later you're like oh this could have been just the standard at the time and that i think is the the byproduct of driving that standard forward over time um it just happens mm -hmm. um i think that i expect um probably to cry at some point <laughs> true um i expect a character-driven story where the things that engross you are the character, but the way they trick you into caring about the characters is with a really imaginative, original world. Mm. And obviously not anymore, but if you asked us like 10 years ago, I think you'd expect that the Pixar plot would be blank but alive. <laughs> True. Yeah. I, th I think they're mixing that up quite a bit more. And they have been for a decade, so I, I think that's an unfair expectation to have at this point. But um, you may also expect a male protagonist. I mean, there yeah, have only, that's fair. There have only been two. <laughs> I mean, Brave and Inside Out and Dory. In a sequel. I, okay. I will, I will grant you Finding Dory. Yes. One point. Half point. Yeah. So three. 
still working on it. Yeah, I think Disney Animation Studios tends to... It, once you look at like the Disney Animation Studios history, you're like, oh, they alternate pretty regularly and rigorously. Like, boy protagonist, girl protagonist. Boy protagonist, girl protagonist. But Pixar is uh, definitely more in one world than another. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that to slight. I'm just saying what an expectation is, you know, like, I hope that that changes. And it is a little difficult because as, as you get people telling their stories, as you get directors and writers in there, they're going to talk about the stories that they want to tell. And in this one, Enrico Casarosa, he was wanted to tell his story of being a young 11-year-old boy in Italy and meeting meeting his friend, one of his best friends. Like he wanted to tell that story in a in, interesting, exciting way. And when you have somebody telling a personal story and they're of, you know, a certain gender or a certain background, those genders and backgrounds are going to influence it. Yeah, I think this movie does do a lot to inject more than what's in the the truth of this story. Um, Like by adding Julia, Mm -hmm. I think does a a lot. It goes a really long way. Um, She could be the protagonist of her own movie that's happening simultaneously. (laughs) Right. But we can also, if we're going to imagine this true story from childhood, but with sea monsters, I think it's equally valid to say we can imagine this childhood movie, but with girls. <laughs> I think it's a valid way to interpret the story too. Um, it doesn't have to be how you do it, but when you're a Pixar with your history of male protagonists, maybe it'd be good to do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. I. Could it be different telling that same story with two female sea monsters? I mean, anything can be different through the lens of identity. I think that you could mm. make this exact same movie and just make Luca and Alberto women, well, girls, um, and Julia boy. And... I think you could keep the exact same movie and it would still work fine. It would not really, I don't think it would change much. Hmm. I think you could take different things as an audience member away from that. Uh, and that is something else that could be spoken of. But I think that the movie itself wouldn't have to change. Whereas you could do things differently if you swap some genders around, uh, but you don't have to. Hmm. That makes sense. So are we ready? Are we are we ready? Are we ready to move a little bit more into some spoiler-ish territory? My body is ready, Chris. Okay. So we're gonna start getting closer and closer into the deepness of spoilers. I just wanna say that this may not be a spoiler at this point, but Luke and Alberto decide to try their hands at 
passing on the surface as land monsters in the town of Porto Rosso and exploring that as a place where they can get the coveted item, which is a Vespa. <laughs> and they, they know that that's where they come from, the, the land of people. They just don't know how to get it. And they realize for them, a Vespa equals freedom and going wherever you want and not being told where you can't go because Lucas' experience has been don't go to the surface. Yeah. You are not allowed to go. And I'm, I'm not normally a fan of Vespa aesthetic and anything, but I think it works really well here. And they do a lot to define what the Vespa means in this kid's movie that I'll accept it, but... <laughs> Sometimes movies and people in real life have a Vespa obsession. Like, you don't need to have that. That's okay. <laughs> Get a Razor scooter. It's fine. I, I always have, whenever I think of Vespas in Italy, I always think of Eddie Izzard and, and the way she talks about Vespas and like people in Italy just like driving Vespas and going ciao on everything. <laughs> so... When our villain, when we meet the villain coming in, Ercole, on on his Vespa, and he just comes and he's like, ciao. I was like, there it is. There it is. Thank you. She got her, she got her joke in. <laughs> like, I don't know how many people are Eddie Izzard fans watching Luca, but like the moment I saw Vespa, I'm like, please just drive by something and just go ciao. <laughs> and it happened. So. <laughs> it's. A movie that while it's it's leaning into Italian things in a way that is embiggening and funny, it's also very self-aware of how ridiculous it is to do that. <laughs> Can you say a little bit more about that? I feel like in some ways Luca is like a revenge movie to Nintendo. Like you could have hired us to make the Super Mario movie. Look what we could have done. Instead, he went with Illumination. Fine. Uh, <laughs> we shall do Italians. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is putting on a silly Italian accent uh, a softer, lowercase r uh, form of racism? Perhaps, probably, yes. Um, is it also fun and alluring? Yeah, that's the danger sometimes. <laughs> um, but this is also in a a movie, a story told by an Italian director, or at least of Italian descent. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, one thing I do appreciate is the character voices, the the people who are not Italian, who are mostly the sea monsters, don't affect, have affected accents. Yeah. And then the people from Italy who are mostly played by people of Italian descent have Italian accents, so they have real Italian accents. But even Julia, who's not an Italian actress, sometimes she'll say things in Italian, um, like ridiculous things like holy mozzarella, like santa mozzarella, like things like that. But, but when, you're, when the character speaks Italian, I think that's different and more freeing because like, if, if I, as a white man, had a line in Spanish and I said, 
Vaya a la playa. Like it doesn't, like it's Valley Girl. It, it doesn't ring as true and authentic. Like it's almost worse to mispronounce it in the original language. True. But they, they did really well when they were speaking it from what I could gleam. I mean, I'm not an expert in Italian. Um, I've seen eight and a half. Um, but that does that make me an expert? In some ways, some would, people would say yes, yeah. <laughs> you haven't made a failing science fiction Italian movie in the mid-50s about like a rocket ship set with lots of women in astronaut suits that don't do anything? <laughs> That's off topic. Um, but yeah, I didn't even notice bit, that, yeah. that some of these actors... Um, I didn't notice the accent difference because ultimately I think it doesn't matter for the story and that's okay. Mm. This works. It was uh, not offensive the way they did it and it works and it doesn't distract. And I think part of that is specificity. They're really good at creating a specific place and a specific world and it, it, you just live there. Um, I think the th- part that's least defined is the world of the sea monsters themselves. I mean, we get to see their home. We get to see one little field. But it's like, is that the sea monster's sole existence? Yeah, there wasn't as much under the water, under the sea, if you will. Um, so the- It was not better where it's wetter. It was not better where it was wetter. Perhaps it was better when they got wetter on the surface. Um, Mm. Because it was the danger of going back there. And I think that works on a couple of those movies because it drives the plot forward sooner. So you're on the surface sooner rather than spending more time under the water getting to know the world for the sake of the world. Uh, But Mm. also because you're less interested in that world, you too, like Luca, can think that it's boring. That's a really good point. Because in the end... When we're, we're moving, we start with Luca and his family. Then there's the first, and it happens really fast. There's the first leave of the enticing junk that's being found. Then there's Alberto. Then there's the town. You know, there's like, it's a different level of escapes. There's escaping the world I live in. Now I'm on this island with this boy. And now we're going deeper into this other place, this human world. And now we're exploring this. So it's like two different leaps. Yeah. There's a lot of leaping in this movie, physically and metaphorically. Yeah. Because it the lie gets found out really fast of, you know, you're, you are tricking us. You're going to go live in the deep with your uncle Ugo, uh, basically a pilot fish man. <laughs> yeah, I had lots of um, world questions about the, the sea monsters at that point when Ugo was introduced, but also it's another fantastic Sasha Baron Cohen role in a year of great Sasha Baron Cohen roles. <laughs> <laughs> Did you stay after the credits? Yes. I, okay. By stay, you mean um, 
pause the movie and uh, sorry, fast forward it through the credits. Oh my uh, gosh! Because I can look at them later online. I know I could look up who did them without spending eleven minutes waiting for it to scroll by. Yeah, but you get to see the beautiful artwork. And I stayed for that part too. Okay. I don't. Okay. I'm not disrespecting anyone who made the movie. Um, okay. I'm just impatient, and I can be on Wikipedia right now seeing uh, who did the cinematography. It was David Juan Bianchi and Kim White. There you go. Wonderful. <laughs> Uh, but yes, I stayed for the, the post-credits bonus Sasha Baron Cohen nonsense. <laughs> so what what did you get out of these two different escapes or these two different, you know, uh, I escape the world that I'm in. I go to this tower. I meet this young boy who's totally different from me and tells me to silence my fears that he calls Bruno which I just think that's really hilarious. And I may start doing that with Jack about like, look, this is a good time to just say Silencio Bruno. Let's just <laughs> stop, you know, stop. that's just Bruno talking. Um, we call it right now, we call that worry brain. And I think Bruno is just funnier to say, like, <laughs> like let's, let's switch off your worry brain, like Silencio Bruno. And then let's explore and try throwing ourselves off a cliff and maybe not that far. Yeah. <laughs> so I think there's something to learn there. Like this kid is a Alberto's not the best influence, but has, you can see there's something going on there. You automatically get like, okay, Al, Alberto has something happening. There's a question here. Yeah. He's extremely, Curious and gregarious and self-assured. And all these are things that Luca doesn't have in himself or in his life at the time. Hmm. Alberto's an intoxicating figure. Um, as they, they show in a great montage of just <laughs> Luca saying, I have to go 45 minutes later. I really have to go. <laughs> Two hours later, yeah. <laughs> this is the last time I super have to go now. Like another 15 minutes later. And what is it? Is it just because Alberto knows about the world that Luke is so curious about? Is it Alberto himself? Is it a mixture? I think he's charming. He knows about the world that Luke is curious about. And he's also, through him, Luke is learning of concepts that he never could even think about before. The idea of freedom and the Vespa. Like, yeah, he latches onto the Vespa as like the, the MacGuffin of this feeling that he wants but in reality it's alberto's the mcguffin of the feeling that he wants and that's kind of the emotional <laughs> hinge point of the movie that they make it <laughs> like it's it was never about the vespa it was about their friendship hmm. so you might say the real vespa was the friends we made along the way and he'd be accurate <laughs> for luca <laughs> and i think that goes with both alberto and julia i think julia is something that was unexpected. And I'm wondering how much of that has to do with the Pixar story group talking about like, how does this character actually influence things and how does this go? Because it's one thing to have the story of two young men living their lives, but like what, what gets between them? What, what helps them get what they want? There is a way for them to get a 
Vespa. There's the Porto Rosso Cup, which is a triathlon, and you get three people on your team, hopefully, or you just almost kill yourself doing it. Um, starts off with a swim, then you eat a load of pasta, could be different each year, and then you ride a bike and hopefully keep the pasta down. I thought that was a brilliant setup for like why you need three people in this triathlon. It's like, <laughs> it's like, why can't you really do this on her own? That like, we finally see like, oh yeah, she ate like the bowl of pasta and then has to do physical exercise. <laughs> that's really strenuous. Immediately following. Yeah. yeah this is, a, you need at least two people. <laughs> I know. Swim, eat, another person to ride the bike, but you yeah. don't want some, all three. <laughs> Like, I suppose it's, I mean, it's pasta, so at least you're, like, carbo-loading, so maybe it'll help that way, but is that a thing that people do? Is carbo-loading a thing? I think I, after, that's sort of learned my health coach this week. Exercise after eating, but not that much, and after right. health, healthy time afterward. Okay, that's, like, strenuous. That's, that's a yeah. bit much. Don't eat, like, two pounds of pasta that immediately hop on your bike to go up a mountain. Yeah, that, that's just crazy. Also, don't put olive oil all over your body before you jump in the ocean. <laughs> we, we did learn about that. That was a bad idea. There, there are some great physical bits in this movie. They're just <laughs> funny. Um, and maybe it's a good way to transition into style a little bit about this movie. Mm. Uh, I remember watching it going like, ah, yes, I see like the Studio Ghibli Miyazaki influence here. I think this is a Wes Anderson shot. And there's a lot of like, arm flailing and like Ardman stuff. And then I was reading the Wikipedia article with like interviews, like we were influenced by Miyazaki and Ardman and Wes Anderson. Like, yes, <laughs> I have an eye. <laughs> I am competent at doing this podcast thing. <laughs> what, what was it? Like, what were you getting out of it? Was, was it the Miyazaki, like in terms of the creatures? The opposite of the creatures, actually the humans are very Miyazaki. Um, mm. Pixar gets out of their, house style, if you will. Um, and the shapes that they choose for their humans um, are more angular mm. and defined. Um, like Julie has a very, she has a triangle silhouette to her fa her head with her hair and her hat, right. which is not something Pixar has, I think, ever done with a human otherwise. Um, and Julia's dad also I think is ripped straight out of a Miyazaki movie where you don't see the eyes, it's the eyebrows and like the big, like trapezoid jaw. Yes. Uh, he and his I, cat did feel together as a pair. It was like, okay, this is, this doesn't feel Italian. This feels like yeah. Japanese. The cat's Miyazaki. It's um, the way the characters moved also and react to things. Of course, Miyazaki is the moments for like things to breathe. We can appreciate the, the atmosphere and what's happening, but then also characters tend to have a movement when they react. Like if they're scared, maybe they like go down a little bit and then perk up their spine and like their hair will stand on end or their eyes will get wide. And there's kind of that, that balance to the movement in Luca as well. Mm. Uh, and just the, the, The setting of the movie feels very much stylistically like it's an American 
computer animation company's interpretation of a Japanese 2D animation company's idea of Italy. <laughs> Where it's a little bit magic and stylized, but still like highly, highly detailed. Yes. And the town is called Porto Rosso, uh, which is almost letter for letter the name of a Miyazaki character, Porco Rosso, uh, set <laughs> in mid century. Italian Riviera. <laughs> hmm. This is definitely Miyazaki. Um, yes. There are a number of, um, I think Luca especially had a number of shots where he was um, centered, dead center of the frame and symmetrical. And there's a zoom in. I was like, that's a Wes Anderson shot. It's uh, <laughs> a few Wes Anderson moments uh, where not necessarily in terms of tone, but in, Wes Anderson cinematography is influential on Luca. Mm. Um, and I was reading a little bit with the Ardman bit. I couldn't really like articulate what that was. And I was reading that when they animated, they went multi-limb. So if a character flailed, they didn't just have two arms in their um, smear the shot. Rig. They'd have like yeah. four arms, six arms. So it looked like more vigorous movement. Huh. That's pretty cool. This is definitely the most cartoony of Pixar movies, and it's really refreshing to see them step outside their comfort zone. Okay, that is something that I was trying to figure out, like what felt physically different, because it did have very, especially the walking scene, you know, where Luke is learning how to walk for the first time. And that falling and trying and flailing, but also lots of those things on the, the Vespa, the bikes together, waking up in the morning, jumping on each other to like hide when some water hits them and they're exposed for a moment. You know, it, it was a very physical, um, physical film. I think for so long, Pixar is trying, has been trying to create an animated movie that could be real life. Hmm. And I think they got there a long time ago and they've been kind of iterating on that ever since. And given the style of so many animated movies recently is really getting less realistic. I think Pixar for the first time with Lucas gone, how do we make something less real? I think, I think there was also a turning point around Coco though as well, it's like, let's use fantasy. Let's, and I think this moves toward onward too, but like, let's make this world feel real, even though it's hyper stylized and different. What does this, how does this world feel real without being realistic? Mm -hmm. So I think there's like a realness of environment and then the characters can feel like they're part of that. And I, I, I so much appreciate more than, like, not to call anyone out, but like hyper realism in character design. I, I prefer a, a stylized set of characters. I think there's, you could just say so much more with stylized characters. That is my personal preference as well. Um, I don't think that's a hard factual rule. I definitely acknowledge that 
it feels like a preference for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pixar, I think, has always had a style, but their style was more like New Yorker cartoon than like Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. It was more towards real while also being slightly stylized. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean, I think that Luca is an excellent Studio Ghibli movie. (laughs) (laughs) Through the lens of Pixar. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Not trying to invite comparisons, just... I, there's a lot of style influence on it, and they certainly tried new things, and it's really refreshing. So that being said, in terms of style, what, and when we're looking through this style, which feels Pixar, but also feels outside of Pixar, that there are, our expectations are getting played with there, because we were getting a beautiful environment, but also it felt different. So thank you for helping me articulate and figure out why I was like, it felt like <laughs> Pixar, but it didn't feel like Pixar, but it felt like Pixar. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that now I'm able to square that out and see where things were verted and subverted. But um, I bring <laughs> it back. Better. I like it. <laughs> um, but what does that do about the story? Like what, how is this a different Pixar story than the couple that have just come out like onward and soul and how, or how does it continue what they're doing? Does it feel like a, I guess what I'm, what I'm wondering is if onward and soul, I don't think they're actively working to dismantle something. I think they're working to like build and investigate something. And I feel like Luca is starting somewhere fresh on like fresh ground and trying to like see what what can grow from here or am i is my perception off story wise no i think you're you're on to something um for me trying to articulate what the the previous two movies have been about onward is dismantling and interrogating the idea of family and what that should be and soul i think is dismantling and interrogating the idea of like the meaning of life <laughs> among other things there's a lot we you can listen to our last episode about soul <laughs> instead of another 45 minute rant here um good rant um i think luca is maybe at least started from a similar perspective of trying to interrogate the idea of friendship mm. and like the meaning and influence of friendship um And not knowing much about the production, the development, and what they went through. Um, I think a lot of big stories have been made about friendship already. Um, So I think it was smart to zero in on this rather small stakes story of friendship. I think it was really effective to just have the thing you're rooting for in a Pixar movie for once to be like, I hope they win the triathlon instead of like... Boy, I hope Joe doesn't get erased from existence. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or like the pain of not being able to see your father for the 24 hours. Like that, 
I feel like that was a devastating moment. Yeah. Um, sorry to ruin the ending of Onward, but we're in spoiler territory for at least one of our films. <laughs> but I, I, I agree. I, I like. It felt small, and not that it didn't feel rich and flavorful. It just it wasn't as deep as the question. The questions weren't as deep. Um, which I don't think is a slight against the film at all. Um, I think it's still very satisfying. And I think, you know, my son Jack, I think he appreciated not being traumatized in some way by like nightmare candy, <laughs> like toward the end of Soul. You know, I think the, having that stress, I think he was able to concentrate a little bit more on what was going on. And he can sense something that that was nice is he was able to sense what was coming um so like the rain clouds coming during the bike race and realizing oh this is not good like he was because it was so small and because it it wasn't huge um he he could sense those smaller things and things could be a little bit more subtle i think there was like one emotionally devastating moment without being existentially devastating. And I think it's a good moment because the movie gets to the full moment and reveal as your brain is still processing what's about to happen. Mm. And that's um, when Alberto is trying to like taunt him about school in front of Julie and say like, they won't accept someone who's different. And he jumps into the water to reveal himself as a sea monster. And Luca's reaction instead is to feign surprise and shout sea monster and cast Alberto out. And that's a, I think a shocking, heavy, emotional moment. Um, but it doesn't give you as much time to predict it like the rain cloud moment. Right. It is a, it happens at a shock and you're still not quite sure what happened yeah. immediately after. And then Julia exposes Luca when they get home. Yeah. I did hear that one of the story points was that, and I feel like I was trying to figure out because they just said that it ended with a Kraken. I was like, there's a giant Kraken monster that was actually Alberto turned into a Kraken and they had to like battle or something. And I was like, so he turns into a Kraken? Like he's, he is the Kraken or? So it was a bigger, massive thing. And then they decided to make that smaller. And I'm so glad that they removed the Kraken. Released the Kraken from the story. Ah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to imagine how that would work. I mean, at that point, it feels almost more of a intentional... Twenty tens. No, wait. What are we in? Twenty twenties. <laughs> Take on the Little Mermaid. If you're going to have being underwater, trying to be part of a surface world, and end with a giant sea monster that you're fighting. Uh, I mean, we're getting that next year. Is that when the live action Little Mermaid comes out? This I podcast isn't about those, and that's okay. I know. So. <laughs> If, if that was too much, if that was, if that, 
if that was a big Hollywood third act finale of battling a Kraken, that what is the third act finale that is the that's the linchpin and everything? You know, where does it where does it hinge? Because I feel like it there are three different spots that it could be, and I'm just curious what your sense of that is. For me, I think it's a, a number of moments happen in quick succession. I think it's hard to pin the exact thing here. Um, it's Luca is trying to do the triathlon on his own without Alberto or Julia. Um, and it's starting to rain. So there's a threat and danger to him. And despite what he's done to Alberto... Alberto comes back anyway to help him. And I think Ooh. that the the third act finale really begins when the umbrella is knocked away and Alberto's revealed as a sea monster in the middle of town with no hope of escape. And Luca makes the decision to stick with his friend this time. Hmm. And then there's a, a satisfying plot, like chase finale thing. But the emotional moment, I think, is Luca deciding to stay with his friend. To come out from under the awning and go help and expose himself as well. Sacrifice freedom for his friend. Because he wanted freedom the whole movie and instead he's going to lose that chance, that opportunity, in favor of sticking with something that he already knows. Hmm. How satisfying was it for you? I feel like the most satisfying moment of all of this was the two old women pouring the water over their heads. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it was a cute reveal. Like, I mean, they, I think the movie laid the groundwork early on with like Luca's uh, grandma being like, I know about town. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you how. <laughs> uh, and then like the double reveal that there are of course already sea monsters in town besides themselves. And, even shortly after that, like Luca's grandma sitting down at a table and like Julia's dad saying like, hello, senora. And everyone's like, what are you doing here? She goes, oh, I come here every weekend. You didn't know that? <laughs> um, so it was, it, it was, I think, uh, satisfying as a viewer and also satisfying in terms of the plot and theme and problem of the movie that Luca is not the first person of his people to undergo this emotional transformation and try to live on land. Mm. Like he's not the first, but he can certainly through his actions, make it easier for everyone. Mm. Let's think about how long those old ladies have been living on land like that. Right. They, they just know to stay away from water and children and that fountain yeah. Which it seems like that fountain got replaced by uh, the rock statue of Luca in, if, in the end credits. Hmm. I always love when the end credits like act as a little bit of an epilogue, you know, to show you that their life continues on somehow. It was nice to see them passing the time until next summer. Mm-hmm. It kind of like if they decide to make a Luca 2 or like a Luca Plus TV show on Disney Plus or whatever. Um, I think they have the opportunity to pick up right at the beginning of the next summer. 
Do they have to? No. Do we need Luca to? Also no. Um, but if they wanted to, that's there. It's ready. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So earlier you said something about people who aren't the director <laughs> adding to a film something that maybe the director didn't intend, but now there's stuff in the pot. You know, now there's certain flavors that have been added. Could you tell me and our listeners a little bit about that? Uh, this is a movie that's about friendship. Yes. And the director said this is about inspired by and about him and his childhood and his childhood friend, Alberto, who they mm-hmm. met. Uh, and kind of the adventures that they got into. Obviously not being sea monsters, but the sea monster yeah. I think is drawn from their time and their metaphor in their childhood. I don't I don't know if we could say like definitely not sea monsters. I think we could say like <laughs> most likely not sea monsters. Enrico Casarosa is probably not a sea monster. Okay. But Emeryville is right next to the base. We could go hydrate if we needed to between uh, screenings. Um <laughs> Maybe not in that part of the bay. That part of the bay is kind of gross. Uh, anyway, uh, this is a movie that's definitely about friendship. But I and my husband, and I think many people on the internet, were left wondering about Luke and Alberto. Like, is he, you know, a sea monster? Um, and by sea monster, I mean gay. Uh, <laughs> this definitely... Well, this is a movie about friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, Alberto is, for some reason that he can't define, jealous of his friend making a new friend and spending time with her. And he certainly looks at Luca with lots of, like, smiling, satisfied eyes for someone who's so self-assured and independent himself. Uh, and even in the epilogue, is really staring at that phone and hanging on every word with his chin in his hands. Um, but I know that this is, uh, not a movie where there is a sea monster because there was no Disney PR blitz about this being their first sea monster character, uh, only to have it turn out that there were two lady sea monsters in the background the whole time revealed at the end that they could edit out. So there aren't sea monsters in certain releases of this film. Oh, and uh, Enrico's even said that sea monster is a metaphor for being a little bit different. Oh, and of course, uh, the emotionally satisfying as an LGBTQ person at the end when the parents are looking on and Luca's dancing in a sea monster form and they're worried about him. Like, I worry about him being so different. And I think the grandma's like, oh, yeah, he's different, but he founds people who appreciate that. and He'll do fine making friends who see him for who he really is. Like, you could put a queer reading on this movie so easily. Without adding anything else. It, the, it's in the text. The looks are there. The subtlety's there. Um, I think there's enough evidence that you could say and leave the screening that there is... At least one uh, sea monster uh, character in this movie who uh, is Alberto. And that would be a fact. Um, is that the director's intention? No. Uh, is that okay? 
yeah, that's totally okay. Doesn't have to be about that. Um, and like I was joking, I know this is not <laughs> a movie, a Disney movie with an LGBTQ character because there wasn't a PR moment about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's how we know. But there is a reading, and I, f- I feel like that's all I've seen, uh, is just how, how gay is this movie? <laughs> it's basically everything um, that, I've, that I've seen. Now, which it, it makes me wonder, here's, here's a random question. If they are two young boys who are both, let's say they both are in some way gay, does that negate the platonic friendship that's present in the movie? Or does that just add another sense of how we understand each other and are different together? I think what you're saying at the end in the latter part is a movie that I haven't seen and would love to see because I think every LGBTQ person can say that. Yes, I had friends who were like me in our youth and like there was never any romantic interest, but we were thick as thieves because of who we were. Mm. And that's a movie that we haven't seen yet. And maybe that's what's so enticing about this uh, is even if one or both of them are LGBTQ somehow, if they were to say JK Rowling style and Dumbledore was gay um, (laughs) after all this, um, I don't think that would negate the core story the director was trying to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know if it adds anything necessarily. Hmm. Like it's hard to be, it's hard to say that it's Luke is gay baiting when it actively is trying to not <laughs> be gay baiting and says again and again, we're not gay baiting. Right. Hmm. It's just that I'm, curious about in terms of the types of stories that that we're telling you know can the story about friendship um story about platonic friendship you know what does that look like and can platonic friends be look at each other like that or feel like that kind of jealousy and i i think that could be true you know if You've left your safety because if Alberto is really uh, out of fear staying there because he's waiting for his father in the in that castle just on his own and he goes with Luca and now Luca's like hanging out with this other person. It's like, well, why did I leave my safe place with this other person who's now just leaving me? I think that, again, I think the movie works perfectly well and fine with them just being friends like that. But in addition yeah. to the jealousy, it's the looks and the art and the attitude and the subtle things that aren't in the spoken word, but mm. are in the animation style and the background moments. Um, the physical text. Yeah, the physical test text, I think, um, does add a factual flavor of 
what could be read as queerness to Alberto. <laughs> okay. These are all just questions. Yeah, These no, are all just right. things that I'm curious about, you know, as we think about our own stories and what stories are going to come next. I do hope if, you know, in five to 10 years, if there is a Luca too, where Luca's, you know, an adult now, that he and Julia are not married or anything like that, that they're just friends. You know, I would not want to see that movie. I don't. Yeah, yeah we, don't, some, we don't need that movie. Yeah. I, I would like a non-romantic, and I think that's part of why I was, my brain was trying to talk it out of, like, seeing any kind of, you know, um, queer storyline because I was like, I don't want this to be, I'm tired of love stories in whatever form. That, you know, I want a friend story. Well, I think it is definitely factually a friend story. And right. maybe at least one of them is queer. <laughs> right. And that doesn't affect the friend story that was told. True. Yeah. I Similarly, I don't think that I'd want a sequel to this where Luca and Alberto are adults and get together in the New York Times uh, review title, Calamari by Your Name. Ah, so good and bad at the same time. It's like, (laughs) so well done. It's the gif of Pacha from A Person Groove, like, Mm. mm, perfect. It just, it sings. (laughs) So Mackenzie, did you have any last thoughts about Luca or anything we haven't discussed? I feel like we've said a lot. Yeah, I feel like we've hit all the, the key things here. Um... No, I'm good. I think I've said everything I want to say. Wonderful. Well, if you haven't seen it and you're still here even after everything that we've discussed, um, go watch Luca. Why are you here listening to spoilers about a movie you haven't seen? Go go watch it. Enjoy it. Um, did you have a favorite thing, Mackenzie? The cat. Mm. I'm just, we're so blessed to have uh, two Pixar movies six months apart that each have a special unique cat moment in them. Mm. Like if I just had to pick something we haven't talked about as a favorite thing, it's It's the cat, the design of the cat, the constant threat of the cat who starts off as (laughs) a fish scenting suspicious cat. (laughs) And sees the reveal and then knows what's up. Yeah. I do love that shot of the cat just after he fell in the water and then it cuts and it's just like soaked in the boat and it's just like, Rrr. yes, I, I think that got the biggest laugh from Jack <laughs> is the wet cat just like shocked. Like what happened to me? Like, where was I? <laughs> yeah. Did you have a uh, favorite moment or theme or anything? I think for me, it, it was just a beautiful moment of Luca letting the rain hit him on the train. Like just being like out, out there. You know, it was a beautiful shot. And it's just this nice, small character moment. No one else sees it. Like Julia's not even there. 
It's not about anybody else. It's just about Luca letting the rain hit him and transforming into who he really is. Yeah. And I was like, that's, I don't think there's been a finale button period moment in a Pixar movie that's that small um, in a while. I mean, we get slightly there in Soul, where he, you know, goes, leaves his house. It's the same type of feeling, but I think it, this was just done just that much better. It just took that and expanded on it and just yeah. made it stronger. I think wrapping up my metaphor that I used at the beginning, like Luca is a fish out of water, and at the end of the movie, he's a fish out of water, and that's okay. Hmm. Hmm. So thank you, Pixar, again, for a satisfying little movie about sea monsters, but not about sea monsters. <laughs> Shall we talk homework time? Let's. Or next time, uh, you should watch We the People a new series of shorts on Netflix uh, that are animation and music and civics lesson. Um, And we're going to talk about those. I haven't seen it yet. So sorry that that's hesitancy. That's excitement, but I don't know how to prepare you for what we're going to talk about. So watch we, the people, right? I think it's going to be an experience. Um, I'm looking forward to produced by, you know, Chris knee, her production company, laughing wild. And the Obamas are involved, and Lin-Manuel Miranda's involved, and a lot, a lot of people, of people I love involved. involved. <laughs> I, was like, I was looking at the list. I'm like, I am overwhelmed <laughs> by this list of things that are coming at us. Um, and Cha, you know, coming at us and coming at Cha um, as well, our listeners. That was really forced. Um, but, but I feel like... I'm not quite sure what I'm expecting and I'm not quite sure what I'm going to get. And I think that's what's exciting about it. Yeah. It's a mystery box of fun. But like a good mystery box. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just get a little triggered by <laughs> mystery box. The 2010s are over. We can move past the mystery box. <laughs> uh, as always, thank you to our engineer, Nigel Cotino. It's Jacob Reed and the champagne drops for our theme music. Find us on the web, on Twitter, at WG Animated. Follow us there. Let us know what you thought about Luca. And find our show notes and links to watch Luca and other things on writersgetanimated.podbean.com. And if you think you shouldn't listen to more episodes, if you're a new listener, just look inwardly and say, Silencio Bruno. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Silencio Bruno. I'm listening to more. Whoa, no, I almost broke the rule. Like yeah, bad, bad Italian. Just I'm binge, done. binge listen. There are no other Sorry. episodes with bad Italian accents, we promise. Buona noche. <laughs> Buona notte. Oh, my gosh. Wrong language. Uh, they're all Latin based. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>